I know the President and First Lady had struck up a friendship with Harry. Uh, I was wondering if they caught any of the interview yesterday, um, and if they had any reaction to what um, the couple has gone through, uh, in regards particularly with what they felt in terms of the racism that they, that they felt. Well, let me first say that um, obviously many of us caught the interview. Uh, I don't have uh, I don't have as many Americans did, and many people around the world. Um, you know, Meghan Markle, Markle uh, is a private citizen, and so is Harry uh, at this point. Um, for anyone to come forward and speak about their own struggles with mental health and tell their own personal story, that takes courage. And that's certainly something the president believes, and he's talked about the importance of. Um, you know, uh, investing in a lot of these uh, areas that they're committed to in the future as well. Uh, we aren't going to provide additional commentary from here on behalf of the president or others, uh, given these are private citizens uh, sharing their own story and their own struggles. Um, and let me just reiterate that we have a strong and abiding relationship with the British people and a special partnership with the government of the United Kingdom on a range of issues, and that will continue. Jen, Jen Saki, the gift that keeps on. Well, I say taking, taking from the taxpayer and making zero cents up there at the uh, podium in the White House, talking about Meghan Markle. She couldn't even say the name. But of course, of course, we stand with whoever, you know, wants to talk about their struggles, ladies and gentlemen, their struggles. The struggles, lifestyles of the rich and famous, huh? What a good Charlotte say. You remember that song? Good Charlotte, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. They're always complaining. I won't sing. Welcome to another episode of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com. Monday, March the 8th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Don't worry. Don't turn off. We're not going to spend that much time talking about Meghan Markle. I have two fantastic guests in studio with me today. We're going to talk about some very interesting things indeed, but I do have to get a little bit off my chest. You see, yesterday I got home, I turned the television on. I rarely do that, by the way, but I knew a lot of people were listening to this interview. So I thought, all right, I'll flick it on. If it's boring, I'll I'll whip out a book or I'll play some FIFA on my Xbox, have a nice Sunday evening, relax, unwind. No, I was gripped. I was gripped immediately by the pure, unadulterated, nonsense, gibberish and lies that were spewing out of Meghan Markle's mouth. Remember, the, the, the... and here's why it's not noise. It, it's not even signal. It's kind of super signal. Because what it represents, what Meghan Markle represents, is an attack on institutions. And I won't sit here and defend everything the royal family's done, but I will defend the institution of the monarchy. The crown in parliament is the British constitution, right? This would be like Meghan Markle marrying the Second Amendment. Right? That, that, that is the closest thing I can I can give to an American audience as to why this is so gross and detestable. And she is detestable. You can quote me on that for the rest of my life. I am happy to live with that around my neck. She is a detestable human being who saw a, a, a an opportunity both politically for herself, publicly for herself, financially for herself, in terms of relevance for herself, And she is attempting to not just break apart a family. Again, the monarchy isn't about a family. Go back through British history. They're different families 
It's about the Constitution, and an attack on the British Constitution is what we've been talking about. I've talked about on this show over the last couple of weeks. We had Ben Harris Quinney on talking about the attack on the Constitution from Carrie Simmons in Number 10 Downing Street. You're now seeing the same thing, the same playbook. So when I say it's super signal, and I realize I'm coming in hot today, when I say it's super signal, this is all part of the big Time's Up movement right? It's time to change. It's time to abandon the Constitution, whether American or British. It's time to abandon the centuries, centuries of work and progress that great people before us put together and thought about and understood and really put, you know, classical ideas are being are being bludgeoned here by people like Markle, who frankly, frankly, let's be honest about this, is a failed actress couldn't achieve anything for herself, couldn't achieve anything without trying to marry in to a position and now is using that position to attack the people who welcomed her. And it was a really important point made on the war room this morning by Joanna Miller. She said, remember, they had a gospel choir at her wedding. The idea that this institution was racist and rejecting her in any way, shape, or form, is a total nonsense. The Queen has been the Queen of the Commonwealth of Nations, a predominantly brown and black grouping of nations. And the Queen has presided over that for decades upon decades, and now to have this two-bit, failed, F-list actress coming out and attacking the British monarchy as racist? Well, you can probably tell from my accent that I will not stand for something like that, and I'm very pleased to say that I've been talking about this for years, and now, finally, my fellow countrymen and women are on board. They understand. They understand what a pernicious individual this person is. And my goodness, how our hearts communally break to see Harry, little Harry, remember, that we all remember, standing at that funeral of his mother, and the whole nation's heart went out to him and his brother on that occasion you know nobody should have to have to bury their parents at that early an age and the whole nation stood with them and now harry you see him he's fiddling with his ring during the during the interview he's super uncomfortable but remember this is super signal and this is going to come back again and again and again and i'm sorry to america I really am that we have ostracized these people. I'm not sorry for Britain, by the way. We absolutely should have ostracized these people. But I'm sorry that they're now back here in the United States because guess what? She is going to involve herself. I guarantee you, the reason I play Jen Psaki there, I guarantee you, to my guest in studio with me, I guarantee you guys that she will be involved in climate change policy and activism. She will be supporting candidates for public office. This is the beginning of a new American nightmare. And that nightmare's name is Meghan Markle. I guarantee you. That's all I'm going to say about it today. We're going to have a, a larger piece up uh, on the National Pulse later on today. And and look, I, I just want you to pay very close attention to what's going on here and pay very close attention to the who is supporting her. No surprise, Jen Psaki out there speaking on behalf of the President of the United States being sympathetic to this thing. Let's welcome my two guests in studio here. I have Adam Credo, senior writer at the Washington Free Beacon, national security and foreign policy, um, just impresario, I think is probably the right I think uh, that's correct. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. 
Remember, no swearing. No swearing. You can do all the Howard Stern silliness. What's the thing that you used to do on the uh, Sirius XM show when I had you on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was a reference to uh, one of his guys, John Hine. Hit him with the Hine. Yeah, they, you can yeah. do all that, but no no swears, please, Adam. I know you're No dirty, uh, you're a filthy, mouth. filthy words. No, no. The, the audience doesn't like it, and therefore I don't like it. Our other guest in studio is the great Natalie Winters, senior reporter at thenationalpulse.com, and... Lady and gentlemen, and I use gentlemen loosely, very loosely. <laughs> I want to uh, I want to talk about something that, that that is that undergirds a lot of the reporting we do over at the National Pulse. I know it undergirds a lot of the reporting you do, Adam, at the Washington Free Beacon, and that is how Washington D.C. is bought and paid for. This is the broad theme of this of this podcast. Because I was looking at it this weekend, and we were texting this weekend, and, and I think I texted you. I said, hey, look, between the Qatari regime and the Chinese Communist Party, that's what the two of you are you know, experts in sitting around this table, Washington, D.C. is bought and paid for. I mean, almost every single congressional office, Senate office, think tank, uh, you know, public relations outfit, legal outfit, Kamala Harris's husband's uh, legal firm, all of it. All of these people have just rampant, rampant um, conflicts of interest. It's absolutely true. The The foreign money wars in D.C. is one of the most perpetually undercovered stories in the city. And there's a reason for that, right? right. Uh, it doesn't benefit the reporter to um, screw their sources, so to say, by outing just how much this money influences the stories they get, the sources they speak to, all of those other things. Um, and then it extends even further, of course, to every single influential think tank in Washington, D.C. The Brookings Institution is always the first one that comes to mind. They have a campus in Doha, Qatar, uh, that funds them significantly. Do you think that they're not influenced by the significant amount of money, the policy positions they take, for instance, not to mention the influence they're peddling inside the administrations and our State Department? And so let's talk. We talk a lot about the Chinese Communist Party here on, on the National Pulse and on the website. But let's talk a minute for about about. Qatar, because a lot of people don't realize the extent of influence that Qatar has. It's a pretty small place. I mean, how how do they wield so much power, so much control, and have so many people on speed dial? Well, there, there's one primary way. They host a U.S. airbase. The All You Did airbase is uh, based over there. It's a central hub for U.S. Central Command. Those are our forces on the front lines in Iraq, combating the Iranians, all the other places in the Middle East. The base of operations is there. Um, that's one of the primary reasons you don't see administrations, both Democratic and Republican, mind you, take a hardline stance on the inconvenient fact that Qatar also is permissive with terrorism financing, right? A lot of these terror organizations get their money through Qatar, maybe not always officially through the government, but the government turns a blind eye, so to say, to this money moving around. And uh, they funded a lot of the... Um, Mishagas, so to say, in um, in Syria. To, to translate that to use for a, the a Yiddish word. <laughs> yeah, what does it mean? Craziness. Right. Um, you know, all, all the, um, the nonsense. Uh, yeah. uh, well, not nonsense, Mischief. but war actions. Yeah, right. That are taking place over there. Um, so th that's one of the reasons you don't see it brought up. But there also are numerous other reasons. Qatar spends their money very wisely. Uh, getting all the right people on the phone, hiring lobbying firms here in D.C., um, having legal firms in D.C. on retainer when people write something inconvenient. I've 
experienced that up oh, close. I'm, in I've the past. no doubt we'll get one for this podcast. It's certainly possible, and I'm no stranger to it. It's 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 happened multiple times, and those legal letters come from Washington D.C. law firms. So big ones, big major ones, the top. They're ones. They're trying to scare yeah. you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is why you spend that much money, because uh, it's easy for them to pay for a legal letter to get fired off to a small beans reporter like me who goes, "Uh oh, I can't pay all that money, uh, even when the articles that I've written are completely factually accurate and true. Right. It's just an intimidation tactic. Uh, but there's also one other piece of this that and Qatar is just one example, mind you, I mean, of of numerous others. You mentioned China and there are other Middle Eastern countries. The Saudis have tons of lobbyists on retainer in D.C. to push their message here. But uh, one other thing with Qatar, I, I want to mention it was always it was always strange to me, as good as the Trump State Department was, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the terrorism emanating from Qatar and its close alliance with the Iranians, barely ever mentioned. That was not lost on me. I asked the State Department multiple times and never really got a good response from them. And it's for all of these reasons that, that we're talking about now. So, Natalie, I want you to, to, to chime in on this as well. I'm sure you have your thoughts on what Adam Credo had to say. And I want to move the conversation along as well to to Farah. So just remind the audience, you know, what is Farah? And if, if isn't this supposed to be a way to stop all this mishigas from happening? Well, I think everyone loves to, you know, ramble about how the city of Washington, D.C. and our, our elites, our establishment is bought and paid for by foreign governments. Oftentimes we focus on the Chinese Communist Party and the FARA database, I really think, is kind of the footnote on that sentence, right? When you go onto the Department of Justice's website, which is where FARA is housed, I believe it used to be a part of the State Department, uh, but what you're talking about is a 1938 act that required anybody who was advocating, whether directly for a foreign government, uh, a foreign government-funded group that's attempting to influence domestic politics, whether that's influencing politics occurring in the United States or the United States approach to, to foreign developments going on, that these people would have to register and say, hey, here's why I'm saying what I'm saying. When I write an op-ed for CNN about the Chinese Communist Party, it's not just my own independent thinking. It's totally underwritten by the Chinese Communist Party. Although there is an interesting thing that in that if you're in academia, you don't have to register with Farah, which not necessarily that you're looking for uh, my advice on how I would reform Farah, but I think that's a very interesting loophole that is exploited. We've put up a lot of stories, I think, this past weekend about how universities take a lot of foreign money. But when you go through the database, you can see what are called foreign principles. So these are the foreign countries and foreign entities. And as it stands currently, there are 669 foreign principles influencing politics in Washington, D.C. I was looking just before this podcast and saw that 23 of them are registered to China, 32 of them are Qatari, wow. and just 11 of them are Russian. So that's an interesting narrative on the whole uh, Russian angle. But I think what else is... is and by the way, what's really important there mm -hmm. is, is, is no one denies that there is this uh, um, attempt by Russia to to interfere and intervene. But what what the people who are alleged, you know, I'm often alleged to be some, you know, I think I get it on Twitter every day, Vladimir Putin's stooge, you know, and all this stuff. I actually responded to somebody this weekend. I said, hey, if if the Russian government did want to pile in to support conservative things, I might even you consider it. it. <laughs> I might even consider it. But, but, but I'm joking. But uh, what I'm saying is that I would consider it before I would consider taking money from the Chinese Communist Party. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And what's really interesting 
and why I focus so much on, on the Chinese Communist Party is that the foundations and the institutes that they have, which it's not, again, it's not necessarily the the Chinese embassy or a Chinese consulate registering with FARA. It's groups like the China United States Exchange Foundation, which are, uh, even the think tanks describe them as proxies or fronts for, for the Chinese government, but buried in these filings, which are in some cases 400, 500 pages, I think from one... Got to fi- get that short form. Yeah, yes. Tip. <laughs> yeah. But from, from just one of these filings alone, from just one of the lobbying groups that was representing the China-United States Exchange Foundation, we probably wrote eight different stories right. about how encompassed in that filing there were efforts to not only influence textbooks, academia, and in academia, that's both the students and the people running these institutions. Uh, like I said... I think we've done sitting presidents, former presidents, the current president, uh, obviously media. That was one of our, our biggest big, stories about big. the paid and sponsored trips and, and private dinners. So, yeah, it's very interesting. When, and, when, and when you go into these FARA filings, they're very straightforward a lot of times with what they're doing. I remember with regards to the media story, uh, these journalists were told, and that's a direct quote, that they would disseminate favor or disseminate positive messages and, quote, spread favorable Coverage. So obviously, you know, they're not going to be totally forthright with what, what they're doing. And part of it is very secretive. But in a lot of cases, you can kind of see what's going on here. And last thing, and then I'll, I'll toss it to you. No, no, we've got all the time in the world. I don't actually have to do the War Room show this afternoon. So we oh, can nice. we can sit here for four hours if we want. Beautiful. <laughs> but uh, again, just to As long of... as your battery on your vape doesn't run out, Adam. <laughs> it is fully charged. Okay, great. Yeah. He's got one of these really obnoxious, It's so massive, obnoxious. You know, there was a tweet about this once upon a time. It's like this woman was walking around the corner thinking she was smelling candy floss and she wanted to go get some candy floss from wherever. And she goes, oh, and I turned the corner and instead I saw Brad in his cloud of lies. Yeah. You are Brad. It's uh, <laughs> Look, I acknowledge that it is so obnoxious and you look like an utter fool it's when awful. you smoke it. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> the, <laughs> but the amount of nicotine it delivers straight into my body is yeah. so extreme. And you look really healthy, by I the love way. It. I'm so. jittery all the time, but I need it. Need that nicotine. Natalie, conclude your point for us before I really interrupted you. Well, just from one of these filings, again, this is just one lobbying firm doing one specific task on behalf of one of these foreign principals. And this lobbying firm by by the name of BLJ says that it, quote, directly contributed to or influenced a total of articles which averages out to three per week. And that was specifically doing work on behalf of the Chinese government-funded China-United States Exchange Foundation. So that's just one filing. So that shows you how much is contained in just kind of one relationship between lobbying firm uh, and and foreign principal. Let me ask you this question, Adam. Obviously, that sort of information will... will shock people it will stun people this is the nation's capital this is where people send their representatives to represent their views but more often than not it appears that their representatives are being piled on by foreign interests and in a lot of cases are spending more time on foreign matters than domestic matters let alone local yeah. matters yeah. you know now i know you're a national security and foreign policy policy reporter so you obviously consider that an uh, an important thing and you know my pedigree of course i do as well but when it dominates what a representative is doing there's a problem here so why doesn't Farrah work as kind of a check against this happening in the first instance is it because there's no there's no penalty for doing this well technically there is i have a whole fairish spiel and i'll, I'll do it in brief sure. for you do it, it in it's, long form it's one of the best and one of the worst laws in washington dc why is it good one it's good for people like me who want to know 
where foreign money is coming from, where it's going to, and what exactly it's influencing. The disclosure is right there, as uh, Natalie said. It's right there in your face. You can Anybody can read it. The uh, FARA database is online, and it doesn't take much to search it. Uh, so there are good things to it. And disclosure and transparency, sunlight, these are good things. We support these as reporters and public advocates and that type of thing. However, um, it's one of the worst things out there because the law is rarely enforced. FARA violations. Uh, rarely are actionable, uh, mainly because the Department of Justice doesn't want to spend time doing it, right? I first got... Is it that they don't want to spend time doing it, or is it that it would implicate things along the oh, way? Oh, yeah. That well, want- look, yeah, I think that's certainly a piece of it, too. I mean, it's it's complicated, right? They're going to step in it. They're certainly going to hear from their foreign allies and even adversaries if they pursue this. Not to mention those you would be pursuing if you... Uh, prosecuted a fair violation would be the wealthy firms that, you know, kind of make DC what it is, make it exist in, in many ways. Um, the, the first time I became aware of Farah was God, well, well over a decade ago. Um, I was looking at an insert in the Washington post newspaper, uh, called China Daily. Oh yeah. I'm sure you know it. And uh, it's it's written and formatted in such a way that it looks like hard news in the newspaper. Um, right. the, the non-discerning eye would come across it and say, oh, this is more news. But in fact, China Daily is bought and paid for by the Chinese communist government. And um, as an advertising partner of the Washington Post, are mandated to disclose in fairer. And that started me down a path of really paying attention to a lot of these things. And that was really just um, the first of, of many that I discovered were disclosing with Farah, but there was nobody discerning what this actually means, right? What's the impact that the nation's largest and ostensibly most respected newspaper is carrying Chinese communist propaganda every day? I mean, that's that's really insane when you when you think about it. And I remember the headline on the piece I wrote was uh, Beijing on the Potomac, yeah. <laughs> right? I thought that was fair. Um, but it really put me down... Um, a, a whole kind of rabbit hole of figuring out what's going on with this Ferris stuff. Now, here's another place that it gets kind of sketchy for reporters. Search my name on Farah, you'll find me in many filings. Why? I cover foreign policy and national security. Often I meet with representatives of foreign governments, and often those meetings are facilitated by public relations firms that want to get a story or at least a reporter interested in what they do. That's um, you hear this? We've got, a, we've got a report on Adam <laughs> Farah that's, filings. That's activity that is discoverable, disclosurable. A person would have to put that on a Farah form. It doesn't bother me. I'm a reporter. I'm gathering information. Um, the story is never promised or expected. Mm. It's really just an agreement to hear somebody out. And often you do hear interesting things, but that's another piece of it. The third thing I did want to mention, um, mm. and we can come back to it if you want to dig in more, Al Jazeera, yeah, which yeah. again is owned by Qatar, but um, a whole you know separate cutout that's funded by the Qatari government. Al Jazeera was mandated in just the past year or two uh, to register with FARA. As a foreign mouthpiece, of course, why not? It seems sure. it seems natural that something that is funded by the Qatari government uh, would do that. Al Jazeera and its PR firms in Washington, D.C. spent great amounts of money fighting that. It happened anyway, right. but they put up a hell of a fight on it. Can I just... There's some squeaking going on here. Who's squeaking? Who's squeaking? Might be my chair. Is it, is it chair? my chair? I'm not moving. Might be my chair. 
It's it happens when you talk, Adam. It's possible. Oh, you know what it is? I think it's your headphones. No way. Yeah. My brand new headphones. Your headphones are squeaking. Wow. Gotta look into that. And and by the way, I wanted to I wanted to raise this with you guys when when we talked about how these big law law firms come after you when you start reporting about this stuff, right? I've got this uh, stock answer now that I give to people, and and it comes from um, Private Eye, which is a famous magazine, often smearing me, quite frankly, Private Eye in the United Kingdom. But there was a case in uh, April of 1971 where somebody wrote to them, a law firm wrote to them, and I, I want to read it to you, just giving you an idea of how I deal with this stuff. It says, Dear Sir, we act for Mr. Arkel, who is retail credit manager of Granada TV Rental Limited. His attention has been drawn to an article appearing in the issue of Private Eye, dated 9th of April, 1971, on page 4. The statements made about Mr. Arkel are are entirely untrue and clearly highly defamatory. We are therefore instructed to require from you immediately your proposals for dealing with the matter. Mr. Arkel's first concern is that there should be a full retraction at the earliest possible date in Private Eye, and he will also want his costs paid. His attitude to damages will be governed by the nature of your reply. Yours, signed Goodman, Derek, and Co. And and Private Eye's response to this is is this is the response that I quote to people when anybody sends me a uh, uh, a, a blank a bleep expletive legal letter. Right? It says, "Dear sirs, we acknowledge your letter of 29th April referring to Mr. J. Arkle." We note that Mr. Arkell's attitude to damages will be governed by the nature of our reply and would therefore be grateful if you would inform us what his attitude to damages would be were he to learn that the nature of our reply is as follows. F off. Yours sincerely, Private Eye. And and that's what I do to, to these people because honestly, what they're trying to do is intimidate you. What they're trying to do is say, um, don't talk about our clients, don't right. talk about things. Now, the irony of this whole situation is that I actually recently got a retraction out of Private Eye. So they, <laughs> they didn't actually get to use that on me, but I get to use it on people. But this is the thing. This is what, what happens, especially a small outfit like us. They will come to us and try and, and strong arm us and try bully. and yeah, bully, bully us and say, oh, well, we're also going to go to Twitter and have you removed. We're going to go to your sponsor. We don't have any sponsors of this podcast yet. By the way, if you want to sponsor the podcast, get in touch. Um, <laughs> not, not if you're the Chinese Communist Party. What's that? QSEF could sponsor. QSEF could sponsor. <laughs> Such we give them a lot of coverage. You give them a lot of coverage. I just want to be clear, QSEF, it's all Natalie Winters. Um, but but that is my attitude towards these things. I won't be bullied. Just full stop. It's just not going to happen. Many people are, though. Many people are. Especially reporters. Look, Especially if you're a new reporter in town and you sure. don't know how this whole system works and you don't know how these big law firms will actually back off if you tell them to F off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, it is strange and they know they can get away with it. I will give you a fun fact. Um, legal firms do not have to register under FARA for the work they do with foreign governments, right? Hmm. So why is this interesting? Often that. those... Did you know that, Natalie? Well, there's an exemption. Well, yeah, but sometimes there's a fusion in that if they're consulting. If it passes a certain threshold, but I can tell you from experience, um, they never do. Right. Right. And they say because it's privileged. Right. This is privileged work that they're doing. Um, And I'll tell you why this is interesting. So often it is the legal firm that is sending you letters on behalf of the foreign government you've written about. Right. So these guys do not disclose under fair, and you would never know what sort of links are going on. There is an argument to be made, despite the American judicial system and the the you know the 
deference we give to privileged in attorney-client communications that there is reason to know what these law firms are up to. There's one in particular, um, a law firm called Deckard, that's enmeshed in a lawsuit in the UK right now over a hacking case. And it's come to light that um, the foreign government that Deckard represented is claimed in these court documents to have not only strong-armed reporters, but others who spoke out about this foreign government. Wow. And most of this work we don't know because it doesn't fall under fair and it was done very much underneath the radar. And this is coming out in the disclosure documents in this court case right now. It's fascinating. Surely a simple solution to that would be, hey, if you're representing an entity outside of the country, you don't get privilege. It's an argument to be made. I do. I, I think there is one. Seems like an America first way of uh, approaching that situation, Natalie. Yeah, I, I think I've said many times before, maybe I've just thought, thought about it. it. <laughs> you <laughs> do that a lot, I've noticed. You think about something and then you go, oh, I think I told Figure you about it. you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do that you too. Didn't, you didn't tell me, dude. But no, I mean, I, I genuinely think that there should be a ban on lobbying firms taking money from the Chinese government and Chinese military linked firms, just like a lot of the tech firms that have ties to the Chinese government or the Chinese military, they're on the entity list and you can't work with them. Yeah, again. that'll happen under a Biden regime, <laughs> won't it? Oh, I'm sure. It won't happen under a Republican administration. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, it just yeah. won't. No, I know. I'm just saying it's even further away now than it ever sure. was. Yeah, well, and also what what's so interesting, and obviously I, I genuinely love the Ferris site and I'm always, <laughs> I'm, always, I, yeah, I'm probably the, the, the person who clicks on, on their website the most. Uh, <laughs> They're I'm, like getting an influx of traffic. They're like, what's going on? Oh, it's Natalie. They could, they could monetize <laughs> the site. Off of put some many, ads on it. <laughs> yeah. Put some Ferragamo ads on it. Natalie will be all over them. <laughs> Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. A good way for Fair and the Department of Justice to rake in some extra cash, though, too. Yeah, exactly. No, but you're saying you love the Farah site. Yeah, but what's so interesting, and I think just from the more newsy angle and covering the stories, is the people who are are not just the firms, but the people who are working on behalf of of these uh, government-backed entities, when you kind of dig down into where they used to work, who they are, looking at oftentimes their LinkedIn profiles, what's so interesting is that Nine times out of ten, they come out of the federal government. They come off of working right. on the Hill. Uh, they've worked in the Obama administration. They worked in the Clinton administration. So that's kind of why I take issue with it is because it's a lot of people who are leveraging credentials and experience and really an understanding of the system that they got at taxpayer expense. Right. And then they're using that to, to profit. And and to the, the nature of the swamp and and how these, I think, oftentimes the Chinese Communist Party and Qatar too understand that you know the legal firms don't have to register. So if you run through them and work with them, you kind of get more more cover. I think there's a quote. I don't know who said it, but it's very much strangling them with their own system in the mm-hmm. sense that they're weaponizing. They how that they know how the, kind of the American swamp works. How there's a network of lobbying firms a couple miles away from us, legal firms on K Street who will take money from these horrible, horrible, Mm. horrible regimes. uh, And they have connections that, like I said, they got at taxpayer expense. And with those connections, they are not indirectly, but directly building and propping up and amplifying propaganda uh, of these, of these foreign countries. And it's, I mean, I just, I think it's morally wrong. (laughs) Oh, it's not just wrong. It's reprehensible. It reminds me of something. And, you know, Adam, I'm not a big Ron Paul guy. um, Nor am I. Way, way too 
um, libertarian for me. I know, obviously, you have problems with with Ron Paul for, from a foreign policy perspective. Yeah, that is, among other things. Yeah. Sure, sure. But let me tell you something. I mean, this weekend, he said something that really, really piqued my interest. He said, and this is Ron Paul saying this, right? Somebody who reveres the U.S. Constitution. He said, the U.S. Constitution has failed because people have found loopholes. And what you're talking about, mm. Natalie, is a loophole. It's a loophole in the Constitution. It's a loophole um, in how the, the law is followed. It's a loophole for how foreign governments get a foothold here in Washington, D.C. This It was a joke when uh, Andrew Breitbart and Steve Bannon started the Breitbart Embassy here in Washington, D.C. They called it the Embassy because they said it's our base in a foreign capital. But increasingly, their joke has come to reflect reality, that this is no longer the American capital. This is a foreign capital. This is where the world's business is done. And actually, more of the world's business than America's business gets done in Washington, D.C. Yeah. I, I think that's very much true, um, and I, I think it also bears noting that that Farah does one thing good. It's the the how, right? Who are these folks that are lobbying? But it doesn't really address the what do you do with this. There's disclosure, and that's great, but it doesn't answer the question of do we want this money influencing virtually everything in Washington, D.C. And I, I would make the argument that this also extends to domestic policy issues. Um, the the Free Beacon actually wrote what I thought was a very clever article on uh, adversarial regimes like Russia and China, the Iranians co-opting the language of the woke left mm. in order to criticize um, America. Right. And I, I think that's a very shrewd observation on uh, my paper's part to point that out, because, again, it shows you how these foreign information wars are being fought. And Farah doesn't really address any of the what do you do with this propaganda that's landing in the lap of the average uh, U.S. reader. And also, by the way, that China Daily newspaper that we mentioned uh, yesterday still gets delivered every day to uh, congressional offices is on Capitol Hill. Is that true? It is true. That's still happening. Years and years now, there's been multiple efforts and probes by lawmakers. I've covered them to uh, get this paper nixed, but yet it persists. It continues to be delivered. Every day, a U.S. lawmaker goes to their office, China Daily, the CCP propaganda is there. Maybe they peruse it. Maybe it influences them. It's certainly worth the cost for the Chinese regime to do that. But hold on, I, I thought that we had this whole thing about the Russians advertising mm. on Facebook and they hit 12 people oh, and could have swayed their vote. Advertising all members of Congress on uh, their propaganda. I didn't realize it was still delivered to their offices. It is. I wrote about it probably earlier this year. I should read your reporting more. You should. Where can people find you if they want to read your the reporting The Washington more? Free Beacon. It is freebeacon.com. You can find me on Twitter, which you should do because it's wonderful, at uh, my last name, Credo, K-R-E-D-O, and the number zero. Credo zero. Credo zero. But most of our listeners now are moving away from Twitter. Do you have any of the other platforms? Any Gab, um, any Parler, any, any, any Facebook? I'm admittedly... Natalie just got Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I accidentally sent everyone to my personal I did not. Page. I did I not. I got like 300 friend requests. Well, then you might have done that. Oops. Oops. <laughs> no. Maybe. No, what happened was you were on the war room and you announced your Facebook. People uh, went and organic. searched you, and that's how it. But 
I'm pretty sure we'll check it out. I'm sorry if I did that. It's I didn't okay. mean to do that. Um, but Adam, you've got to get on mm. another of these platforms. It's nonsense that you're relying so, so, on Jack Dorsey to allow you yeah, to serve your news um, articles. I'm admittedly a bit of a, a Luddite when it comes to social media, not because I'm not on my phone all the time. I am. I'm on my phone right now. I'm sending an email. Yeah. Um, but I just, I find the the you know, garbage in, garbage out of it, yeah. that, that really affects the quality of life after a certain point. When you're just staring at all of these different social media apps and people yapping most of it garbage, it's just... Uh you know, something I don't necessarily want in my life uh, beyond you, you the th- fact you, you that think, I needed think, to promote. I get that. I think I want to spend all these no, I know. hours of my days I know. clicking share on Gap and share on Parler and share on Telegram. But you, you know, you I want know. people to read your reporting, right? You, and, you do. And you you, you do want people to see this stuff, and that is a primary means of communication. But um, I, I've always, even though I'm on it, I've always referred to Twitter as the. Um, public restroom wall of the internet of course it is you know, where people yeah. are just scrolling messages yeah. dirty messages for a good time called you know so and so or for super beats called dana lash yeah <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this um i'll get into the dana lash thing maybe tomorrow because this is this is extraordinary the way she treats people like eric greitens and then expects nobody to come back at her and i came back at her today and she absolutely lost her mind but we'll talk about that another time let me ask you this both of you because we're coming up on 40 minutes here. I know it doesn't feel like it. Not at uh, all. No, because you guys bring such high quality content. And I want to understand, the audience wants to understand what can people do about this to to, to get Farah stuff enforced? What should they be, what representation should they be making to lawmakers? Well, I, I have a, a general answer to that. And this is a larger uh, criticism often of um, the reader, the consumer of news. I know this is taboo. You're not supposed to say that, but I truly encourage people to be critical readers, right? Take a look at what you're reading and where it comes from. Often it's tiny, but there is a disclosure at some level. Um, so definitely pay attention to the sources of information and whether what you're reading might be some sort of supplemental because, yes, they try to do it in, in stealth ways to make it appear that you're reading objective news, but there is a way to tell. Uh, the, the larger piece of it is that, look, you're very right. Uh, most people don't care about Farah. Most people don't know what Farah is. Even uh, even in D.C. often, to say right. Farah is to get, you know, blank looks. People aren't really attuned unless you follow it to know what Farah is. Um, so letting lawmakers know, I guess, at a certain level that this is an issue people care about, that they don't want their news media influenced by foreign governments, that they don't want... Um, an entire cottage industry built up across Washington, D.C. that lives and subsists on the money that is given by foreign governments, and it's huge. Um, again, people can go to the FARA website uh, on the DOJ's website and just look at some of the major firms that represent foreign governments. The money is mind-boggling, mind-boggling. It's, it's, it's beyond what you would tens ever Tens of millions. More, yeah. But, hundreds of millions. Natalie, billions some yeah. in some in some Just cases. Universities alone, the money that they've taken. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Seriously, well, I mean, I think that's a complicated question with what you asked. And well, I, look, I don't expect you to be a policymaker <laughs> here in the studio, right? But but yeah. put it this way: Should people be contacting their representatives about this? Is there anything that that these representatives are even willing to do on this issue? Well, I think. I think this is how I would answer your question. I think obviously at the National Pulse, we dig into Farah all the time and mm. we expose the people who are on there. But I think the best approach 
independent of pursuing legal action and trying to get legislation passed, which I think is the most important thing to do, I think just calling these people out, because for so long, I think the people who've operated in the swamp and that they've worked at these lobbying firms, they kind of think that they can operate with impunity and that they can represent these foreign governments and that no one's going to say anything, no one's going to call them on it. Frankly, uh, because they're working with these mainstream media outlets on behalf of their clients, so it's kind of a, a mutually beneficial relationship. But I think articles like the ones that we put up and people can obviously share them and even look at Farah themselves, where you really just call out these people who are doing it, I think it makes other people a little more cautious about, you know, signing up to register and work on behalf of these foreign governments, which are totally at odds uh, with American values. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Any closing thoughts on this before we uh, before we change tack here? Or are we done with Farah for now? I, I would just bolster, uh, quite honestly, what, what Natalie said there. I mean, this is, look, these are the mechanisms of D.C., the greasy underbelly that is set up and entrenched in such a manner that reversing it is is a Herculean effort, really, right. you know. Um, Good so thing I'm Hercules. I would, I would leave people with that impression, though, because, look, you're talking about the livelihoods of a lot of people here. A lot of powerful people. A lot, a lot of, powerful of people, people tied to very, very powerful things. And, you know, we were talking when we were walking. You picked me up from the gym. Thank you, I Adam, did, for yes, doing that. Of course. Um, but we were talking when we were walking over here to the studio um, about just just the the level of, of power that there is in these, in these situations. And uh, when you start talking about something, the first thing they'll do is call you a conspiracy theorist. Sure. You're even daring to talk about these things. We see that all the time now. And my comment to you was, I think, increasingly, like the phrase racist, or fascist or whatever they throw at us for for for, for objecting to the, some some globalist policies even the phrase conspiracy theorist is now losing its bite because i was saying and i don't know you don't have to take a position on this but i was saying <laughs> how many americans actually genuinely believe that lee harvey oswald shot uh, jfk three times from the thing of the book repository you know he was the by the way that would make him the single best shot in the world ever in well, human did, history didn't the marines advertise for some time that was in um uh oh what what's that Kubrick movie where um you know private pile why why can I not think of the name I of this? Know. I'm so so thoroughly embarrassed. <laughs> it, it's a classic, but um, you know the drill sergeant in, in that film. When you bring up the name, remind me so we can let people know. Um, and I'm sure they already know what it full is. Full metal and jacket. Full metal jacket. Yes, of course. I apologize to your audience for forgetting that. That is a sin. Uh, but there's a great scene in that movie where he's bragging it. about you know one marine and his rifle, the damage they can inflict. They, they sold on that for a while. Well, now I want to uh, obviously uh, just pivot away. We'll do a little bit with Natalie on the uh, on the breaking news that we've got up on the National Pulse, talking about oh, the I, refugee I'm sorry, quotas. And so, yeah, of course, please. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the The reason we started on this fair discussion, yeah. if you remember, was over the weekend I wrote a story yeah. um, about a new hire by the Biden. I was wondering, wondering when you were going to start plugging I, your com- news stories. It completely, it, com- <laughs> it, it completely slipped my mind. Uh, but it, it, it's definitely worth noting. The Biden administration hired Regime. a... Uh, uh, sure, regime. The Biden administration hired a former State Department official, uh, worked with um, Ambassador Susan Rice when she mm. was at the UN, uh, a career official uh, who did quite a bit of flack work for the Obama administration as a new policy advisor. What did um, this person do? Her name is Erin Pelton. Uh, during her time outside of the administration, Tell us. she worked for Mercury, which is a popular and very large uh, 
lobbying firm here that does lobbying work for Cutter. And we found her on fair disclosures having done lobbying work for Cutter. So these are the types of folks who are moving into this administration now, um, especially after promises that they they wouldn't keep those types of relationships. Mm. But it's interesting. You have somebody who was forced to disclose to the U.S. government mm. that they're lobbying on behalf of a foreign government, let alone Qatar, that maintains these close ties with Iran, that has these concerns with terror financing, mm. now in a policy position of the White House. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And where can people find that? The Free Beacon, friends. Freebeacon.com. All right. And now before, uh, before we move on to the next topic, uh, a word from our new sponsor. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back. I'm, I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I will have to circle back on Thank that you, Jen Psaki, the sponsor of the <laughs> National Pulse Podcast. I should note for the lawyers, Jen Psaki is not a sponsor of the National Pulse Podcast. All right, I want to move on to a little bit of uh, a little bit of news that we're breaking over at the National Pulse today. Uh, specifically, Natalie, you mentioned this morning and you found this story. It was absolutely bombshell, I think. This Democrat bill that would limit uh, the power of future presidents uh, in the in the refugee intake arena. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a two-paged bill called the Lady Liberty Act of 2021, and essentially any president going forward from 2020 or fiscal year 2022 on would be unable to lower the minimum amount of refugees that the U.S. takes in to any number below 125,000. For reference, in the last year of the Trump administration, they brought it down to about 18,000. It was 30,000 the year before. I know the Obama administration hit record highs, and I'm sure the Biden regime will do the same. I mean, is, is it, who are the sponsors of this bill? Is there any chance of this going anywhere? Uh, there are over 50 House Democrats. Wow. So, so this is a serious thing. This isn't just some kind of crazy, you know, California liberal doing this to placate their hyper-progressive base. A lot of squad members on the bill, but also some more, you know, quote-unquote mainstream Democrats. Obviously, with, with 50 people, you're going to be pulling in a, a lot of people. I, the bill text was just received today, but I believe it was introduced uh, in February, but since then, it's been referred to the Committee on the Judiciary, so we will see where it... No, then that's the thing. We won't see. The audience needs... You need to go on internet, right? And this is my uh, this is my get to the warm alarm, but I don't have to do that today. You have to go to the internet, right? Go on the World Wide Web, find out who is on the committee... And, and and hammer them, get in touch with them, hammer them, email them, call them, get it, you know, say, hey, you know, this hasn't got any other headlines, I don't think, yet, beyond beyond what we've written about it. So so take this to them. It's number two in our breaking news section right now. Obviously, we're coming at you uh, on Monday, uh, March the 8th in the afternoon, but it's in there. It's on the National Pulse. The headline is, Democrat bill would stop future presidents lowering, lowering refugee intake quota. Go and find this story get it to the right representatives and get them to do something about it. Adam, you look like you have something to say on the matter. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, your reporting has been fantastic lately. It's not mine, it's hers. The, yeah, Natalie's yeah. in particular. The uh, Colin Call stuff I thought oh, was yeah. fantastic. This nomination is so fascinating to me because at first I thought this was going to go through. Look, this is a... A uh, Biden loyalist who served as his foreign policy guy uh, towards the end of the administration had uh, Colin a Call K A H L. Yeah, yeah. Call. No, yeah. no, I know. I'm just telling the audience because people will hear. Oh, Kyle of course. Yeah, search him. Yeah, yeah. Colin Call. Um, 
but the reporting on this, I, I think between what uh, you guys have done, some of the other outlets, the Free Beacon has reported on Call 2 and some of his his tweets that were absolutely insane, calling the GOP the uh, party of ethnic cleansing. Look, if Neera Tandon's nomination was sunk for tweets and we use that as a standard, um, Call's tweets are uh, worse in many cases right so yeah, i just wanted I to say, say so. i think that reporting has been absolutely fantastic well i appreciate that and i uh, especially appreciate it from uh, on behalf of natalie winters who of course it's great can't represent herself on international women's day um a couple of things that i just want to mention here i'm actually drinking this is not a sponsored comment by the way but i'm actually drinking from an ember mug right now it's actually thanks to uh, one of our listeners who decided to mail me this you know mug that heats while there's liquid in it and so your liquid doesn't get cold and i'm not doing an advertisement for this you know whatever buy it if you want don't if you don't want i couldn't care less but i want to thank that person name's gary i think want to thank that person if you if you're listening gary thank you for mailing me an ember mug they're not cheap Uh, i also want to thank one of our uh what's that now where's my mug where's your mug well gary you gotta get on it (laughs) you don't drink anything you drink water you don't want hot heated do you want heated water <laughs> really? Tea? That is that would be heated yeah. water, but that needs a tea bag. Yeah. What kind of tea do you like? Green tea. Maybe people will mail you some green tea. Sounds maybe good. I'll maybe I'll get you some green tea. The other thing I wanted to note was that there's a there's an account called Hope D on Twitter, and I actually got uh, a clip off Hope uh, very recently, and I forgot to credit Hope with that. So this is a credit for Hope on Twitter. Thank you so much for for helping us out. And you know we really are people powered here at the National Pulse. We rely on you for uh, breaking news stories. We have a tip section on our website. We have a wonderful people in the Discord chat channel. Immediately after the show, I hop on uh, private phone calls uh, with lifetime members who join up at the nationalpulse.com forward slash support we don't take money from big corporates we don't take money from big law firms we don't take money from foreign governments all of those things are a no-no for us we are fully people powered so i wanted to thank all of you guys and make sure you got mentioned we obviously will later on in the week as we always do go through our new membership list and mention people on there and another thing i wanted to mention for you just before we let you go today is this uh, article that's up on the site. It's called A Quick Guide to Free Speech and Avoiding Big Tech Online. It's put together by our very, very capable web design volunteer, Wahagan Kabayan. Wahagan has put together this quick guide to avoiding big tech. It covers social media, it covers messaging apps, it covers browsers, it covers VPNs, and some more advanced things on there as well. We will actually be constantly updating that story also. So I really want to point you to that, use that as a reference point. I know a lot of you are actually ahead of us on some of these subject matters. So again, I don't mean to patronize you or anything like that. We're just trying to bring as much information to people as possible to help people find out which are the which are the places to post, which are the places to avoid. And so that that tech guide is very important to us and we'll continue to uh, to add to it. I want to thank you for listening today. The time has flown. Thank you to Adam Credo. Make sure you follow him if you're still on Twitter at Credo K R E D O 0 and we'll be uh, we'll be trying to get Adam uh, to join other platforms. Thank you, Adam. I will do my best. Thank you. I appreciate it. Natalie Winters, Natalie, tell the audience you're now or you got a Facebook page, so yes. you're now caught up with like 20 years ago. I know. What's the Facebook page? Natalie Winters. 
but not your private not, account. Well, you can add me on the private one, but I might not accept you, but <laughs> I do. Have so how do you tell which one's which? Because one of them's a page and the other is a profile. Okay, so go for the page. The page. All right, no, no, fine. yeah, yes. Yeah, yes, the page. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not profile. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening take some action share this show share this podcast get it into more people's hands leave us a review it all helps and we'll see you again with dana lash commentary tomorrow